Um, so I want to talk to you today about the gospel. That's um, a big word. Uh, but I started out as uh, my background is Baptist General Conference, which is what Bethel College is affiliated with. The BGC, we called it, which is now Converge. And so what I heard, what the gospel was, was simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That was the very first verse that I memorized. I was two years old when my mom and dad taught me John 3.16. I've always, always loved the gospel. And while I love miracles, I love seeing people healed. I love seeing people um, set free from demonic activity. I love to see the blind see and the lame walk. My favorite thing, hands down, is to see people born again. There is nothing like the mystery of born again. I mean, when someone's life flips, that's a wonderful thing. That, and it's in an instant. You know, when you're birthed, boom, there's that, you know, you do all that labor and all that pushing and everything, but there is a moment, and it's on your birth certificate, born at 11.37 p.m. There's a moment that you were born, and you went from here to out here. And it was very clear a big transition had just taken place. You gasped your first breath of terrestrial air, you know, and it was completely different. And so I've seen people born again over and over and over again. Um, probably it's in my genes, it's in my DNA, because my dad, before I was born, was a hardcore alcoholic, quite famous in Burnett County, Grantsburg, Wisconsin, for his drinking escapades. He was drunk all the time. He lived to be drunk. He smoked three packs of cigarettes every day. He lit one off of another one. He couldn't speak without cussing. Um, he, yeah, there was just no sentence that didn't have swear words in it. Um, he was the first one at a bar on Sunday morning waiting for the bars to open after drinking Friday night and all day Saturday. Sunday morning for him was, when are the bars going to open up? That was my dad. Until March 13th, 1954, dad got down on his knees at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he asked Jesus to come into his life and change him as a 25-year-old because he didn't like the way he was anymore. And a boom! My dad flipped. He never touched a drop of alcohol again. He'd never been to an AA meeting. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against AA. My dad never went to an AA meeting. And he never stood up in front of people and said, my name is Wade Brask and I'm an alcoholic. My dad would stand up in front of people and saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Dad quit smoking. I never heard him swear. I mean, when Dad told me who he was, I said, I don't know that man. Because Dad encountered the gospel. And so there is no more important message in all the world that we have to share 
then Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the word of your testimony. Your testimony is so powerful. People can argue their do your doctrine. They can argue your theological positions. No one can argue your testimony. Your testimony is your validity of the story of what Jesus has done in your life. And no one can say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. No, I don't agree with that. They don't have to. This is your story. Jesus changed you. And so I've always, from the time I was a little girl, loved the gospel. But I had a pretty narrow definition, I think, of what the gospel is. Yes, the gospel is, for God so loved the world. And yes, the gospel is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, that is the gospel. But um, Jesus has a way of messing with us, doesn't he? You ever feel like Jesus messes with you? So when the very first time of Jesus' public appearance in a synagogue, a temple, a church, he does this. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up and read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling the scroll, I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, uh, for those that want to follow, uh, verses 16 through 21. Unrolling the scroll, he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened, was glued on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus out of the shoe. This is one of his very first public appearances when he's saying basically what he's here for. Now, we say the gospel is good news, and there's nothing gooder <laughs> than you can go, you can have your sins forgiven, and you can be assured that you will go to heaven when you die. But Jesus didn't preach what we call the gospel, even though we say the gospel is good news. Jesus was, he was expanding our definition of the gospel, right? He was giving us a more full-orbed, broader picture of what the gospel really looks like. The gospel is good news. But his opening line was, I have been sent to proclaim good news to the poor. So right away we have, boy, the poor is on his crosshairs. Uh, last night I had the privilege of sitting in um, a deer stand on our farm with my nephew, Matthew. Uh, he's only 15 years old, and it's his dad and me and Matthew were sitting in the tree stand for youth hunt. So we had the privilege last night at five minutes to six of seeing a nice buck walk out, an eight-pointer, about 100 yards away, and my nephew put the crosshairs on him and dropped him with one shot right through the lungs. 
that I know isn't a glorious moment for all of you here, but for me, it was a high five moment. Um, he put the crosshairs right where it belonged and he dropped this buck. We actually made the statement, my brother and I from the tree stand, sure hope the buck drops right in the four-wheel trail so that we won't have too long to drag him. And once you know, when we went and tracked him, boom, that's right where he fell, right on the four-wheel trail so that we could just drive the ATV and get him. Okay, so here's, I get a little sidetracked, right? So here's Jesus saying, I'm going to put the crosshairs on why I'm here, and I'm here to proclaim good news to the, for the poor. I am here to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, not just, you know, at the Minnesota State Pen. I'm here to pro proclaim freedom for those that are prisoners in their own lives. My dad was a prisoner to alcohol. He was a prisoner to nicotine. He was a prisoner to a life that was going down the toilet. Um, Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. Yes, physical blind, but also people that are blind to who is God like? What is God like? How can I know him? They've, they've seen religion, but they're blind to what it means to have a relationship with God. And then to proclaim, hey, you guys, heaven has now come down to earth. I'm here. And this is the year of the Lord's favor. Not just for Israel, not just for the Jews. This is a year where the Lord is proclaiming freedom for the world. Everything's going to look different because Jesus came on the scene, right? So I've wrestled with this, and it boils back down to when Jesus was asked, hey, can you take and summarize everything? Like, what does it really mean? Um, what's the important things in life? What's, what's the core? Jesus said, all the law and all the prophets, everything you need to know can be summarized by these two verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay, just how much of you is left over after you've done that? Like, not love the Lord with, you know, invite Jesus into your heart. Okay, Lord, here I'm going to give you this little piece of my life. Now I got my fire insurance policy and we're good to go. He wasn't saying that. Love the Lord your God with all you got. All your heart, all your affection, all your love, all your admiration, all the intensity of your emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. I mean, we always say Africans have soul. Why is that? Because they have passion. They're very passionate people. I go to Africa. Hey, the worship is different than here. Everybody, no one needs to go to the gym because everyone is just drenched in sweat because they're up, you know, dancing up a storm, right? Because they're into it with all their passion. So God is saying, love me with all your passion, with all your mind. Think about me all the time. Think about me constantly. Think about what I've done for you, right? Um, and then all your strength. So God is really saying, man, I'm it. Don't be so excited about the Vikings on a Sunday afternoon or the twins. Whatever it is that makes you stand up or the Packers and cheer with all your heart, God is saying, get that excited about me and my love for you. Have that same, you know, screaming, burning, sit around, you know, in your living room and high five each other and jump up and with all your heart, right? But then he says this, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. I would say that probably no verse in the Bible has messed with me more than love your neighbor as yourself. Five words. Just think about that for a while. I mean, really think about love your neighbor as yourself. I like food with variety. Love my neighbor as myself should mean I want to make sure that everyone I know gets food with variety. To be more specific, I love beef, especially ribeyes on the grill. <laughs> now that would mean love your neighbor as my, yourself, that I'd be just as concerned if my neighbor had always wanted to have a good steak but never could afford that, that I would want them to have the privilege of having a ribeye steak as well. Um, I like clothes with variety. I should be just as concerned that my neighbor gets to have a wardrobe with variety. Girls like shoes. I just got these shoes this last week, right? Shoes are a woman's weakness, I mean, and chocolate. But I like chocolate with variety and shoes with variety, right? Love my neighbor as myself would mean I want my neighbor to have that too. This verse messes with me wherever I go in the world, wherever I go in the world. And so it's broke my heart wherever I am. I can't ignore it. If you have two clothes, you, two cokes, coats, cloaks, you see your neighbor only ha has none. Take off one of them and give it to your neighbor. I mean, we are commanded to be sensitive to those around us. So I've done many, many mission trips over the years. Been to 50 nations. I don't even know how many different um, mission trips. But this verse bugs me. It haunts me at night. I meet people all the time. Here, for example, some of you have met Hope. Hope says she's, she's a Ugandan. Hope was here last year. Hope stands in my 100-year-old farmhouse, and we're in the kitchen. And she says to me, wow, you guys in America have such nice boxes. And I said, what do you mean, Hope? And she said, well, you have a box that you can put your food in when you've been to the market. And it keeps all your food nice and cool. You don't have to go to the market every day and buy food because you have a box that keeps your food good. Then you can take food out of that box and you can put it in another box that cooks it for you. And you don't even have to be there. And the box just cooks your food. And then you have another wonderful box. After you finished eating, you can put your dishes and your pots and pans in this box, and it washes the dishes for you when you take a nap. And then when you wear your clothes all week, you can put your clothes in another box that washes them for you, and then you don't even have to hang them outside on trees and on limbs and on stuff. You can put them in another box, and they're dry and beautiful. You think about that. I stood in the kitchen and cried, and I said, Hope, I know that, and I've thought about it so many times when I've been in your country. And as you've seen, I've never told the women under the tree what our boxes look like because it doesn't look a thing like their life. 
And so what is love your neighbor as yourself? How many of us would be happy? I mean, this is a huge, this right here patio is a huge house. How many of us would be happy to have a house that's a 12-foot circle and to have an average of India or Africa, six to eight children? And you have a house that's made of cow manure and mud and grass. And, you know, it, on a good day, I mean, there, it would cost me about $200 to build a house like that. Okay? So you've got a $200 house that's, uh, and you can huff and puff and blow it away, or you can light a match, and it can all be gone. Right? And this is your home. And God says, the spirit, or Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what does it mean for us not only to, see, I think Jesus embodied good news. He didn't just share the gospel. He embodied the gospel. Everything about Jesus was, hey, good news is here, right? Because he would both preach it and tell it and live it in front of them. You've got oppressed people here, bring them to me. The sick, bring them to me. Those in your village that you know are pretty whacked out, pretty mentally unstable, bring them to me. Jesus would almost always first meet practical needs. Then he would tell them the kingdom of God is near or is here. For Jesus, it wasn't just about the gospel. It was about the kingdom. He was a king from a kingdom, and he, proclaimed, he came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, which is, yes, our testimony. Yes, the fact that we can be born again, but also the fact that mm, Jesus came, that you could have life, not just in heaven, life abundantly, down here, life more abundantly. More abundantly than who? More abundantly than those who don't know Jesus. Jesus came to fill up our life, as John Denver would sing, to fill up our senses, all of our senses, so that we, I think the glory of God is a person fully alive, because he came to give us life, and when we're fully alive in him, we're alive, so that's what Jesus embodied. So I want to share with you both the gospel and some updates. I told uh, uh, Nate I wanted to give some updates on some things that you've been involved with. So one of the facets, I believe, of the gospel is this pr meeting practical physical needs. So back in the spring when I had been in Uganda, your church gave generously to some water projects in Uganda. And not just your church, but some others as well. And so this is what we've done since then, and trust me, <laughs> It's not as easy as just turning on the faucet. I mean, these projects have taken a lot of effort and challenge and some headache and some setbacks. But I can tell you today, we've got water in Uganda. Um, the faucets are on. And wait till you hear how many lives have been impacted. And so the first project that we did, there's a hospital in a town called Gulu. It's the second largest city, I call it a town, but it's really a city, in all of Uganda, and it's way in the north. So it's not too far from the South Sudan border. 
it's known as one of the hell holes on earth. It's a dark, oppressive place. In the center of this town, there is a government hospital referred to as Gulu Referral Community Hospital. It is a hospital that is well known in this whole region of being a hospital for the most destitute. The poorest, the most oppressed, the most vulnerable, this hospital is where you go if we say on the farm, if you don't have a pot to pee in, you go to this hospital, literally. And so to walk in, this is a 500-bed, 450-bed hospital that is full 85 to 90% of the time. Besides the wards, which are, I think, 13 of them, they have a maternity ward, which um, births 4,650 kids every year. So Africans know how to produce babies. And so this hospital is packed. On any given day, they have 12 to 1,500 people at the hospital because you have the 450 to 500 patients. You have um, that many caregivers because every patient has to have a caregiver. And then you have 350 staff, and then you have people that are coming and going. When we were there in February, no water at the hospital. How in the world do you function as a hospital with no water? You might be saying, oh, Diane, you know, you're exaggerating, or certainly you know, somebody gave you a line of baloney. I'm good friends with the administrator. His name is Dr. Nathan. And I was, my jaw dropped when he told me this. And I said, Dr. Nathan, how can this be? And he says, well, Diane, we've had three years of drought. The reservoir that provides water for this hospital is bone dry. So we don't get any city water that comes in in the pipes. That's gone. He said, then, as you know, we do have uh, three wells here. Two of the wells are run by electric pumps. As you know, if you've been in Gulu this week, the electricity, the power is off about 60 to 70% of the time. The power is off more than it's on. So when you don't have power, guess what? The pump on the well doesn't work. So you can't access the water in the ground. So he says, we are, we're having to have water trucked in. Dr. Nathan, this has to change. Part of the gospel as believers if, is when we see something, believers don't see something and walk away. Believers see something and ask the question, what would Jesus do? Believers see something and say, and, and trust me, you guys, I mean, I'm standing before you. I'm a farm girl. I've never had a lot of money. I grew up what would be considered quite poor. Um, for the first several years of ministry, full-time ministry, I made 500 a month, 6,000 a year. Money's never been a thing that's been at my fingertips. But I have felt always, I may only be one little farm girl, but I got a big God and I should try to do something. I shouldn't walk away from a need and say, well, I'm just a small ministry. I'm just a small girl. And so what can I do? So you guys jumped in on this. We found a good well drilling company. We drilled a well down 100 feet. We installed it right next to a kitchen in the center of the hospital that we had built a year ago. This was a hospital with no cafeteria. This was a hospital with no place for 500 caregivers to go and cook for their 
loved ones that were patients. This was a hospital where this is what the kitchen used to look like. You go out in the field, in the compound area, you dig a little hole in the grass, you take three stones and set in the hole, you fill the hole with sticks, you set the pot on top of the rocks and the sticks, and you try to cook. Okay, great on a sunny day like this, but what about rainy season? which is twice a year for three months at a stretch. Kind of hard to cook out in the open when it's raining. So we built a simple kitchen for the hospital, and then we drilled this well. And um, we also installed two 10,000-liter storage tanks. So it's roughly 2,500 gallons of water with a rainwater collection system. So you might put one right under here. And then your rainwater that comes off the roof goes into these huge storage tanks so that the hospital will always have water available. It was just last month where the hospital staff gathered when it was finished and bawled. The administrator stood there and cried and says, who are you? Our hospital belongs to the government. This is a government hospital. The government hasn't provided water for us. But you came, why? Because Jesus loves you. He came to heal the sick. And how can sick people get well without clean water? It's a big, water is so central to our health. And so now this hospital has water. And so isn't that great? And that's because this project is 100% because of what you gave. This is 100% because of what you gave. You know how many people you have impacted this year at just this hospital? 50,000 people are being impacted in a year because of the gift of a well and two rainwater collection systems. You know how many families you're impacting that come to that hospital? 15,600 families that come to that hospital annually are being impacted by the fact that now there's clean water. You are making a staff sit up and say, who is this God that would care that we have water at our hospital? Okay, then another gift came from a woman out in north of Seattle. She's 98 years old, Bernice. Bernice is an amazing woman. So I'm sitting with Bernice and she says, you know, I watch TV a lot because you know she can do, but she watches Christian TV and she really likes James Robeson. And she says, James does wells. And she says, I really believe people should have water. But I don't know James Robeson, but I know you. Do you need water? And this was right after we had talked about this, right after this need. And I said, we actually do, Bernice. And she said, well, I think I would rather give a well to you than give a well to James Robeson. And I said, I think I can stretch your money farther than James Robeson too, Bernice, because I'm not on TV. I don't have to pay TV bills, right? And so um, there's a village I've been involved with for several years. It's out in an area called Alero, and the village, the little small area, is called Chuco. And so they have been, they've been walking. The women and girls have been walking two to three miles one way every day for years 
to go and get water out of a, a stream that's two, three miles away. And yeah, this stream looks pure, but I guarantee you that you don't want to be having this be your water source. But there it's a lot worse because you don't have this many cattle and goats and chickens in Roseville. But when you gather water here, just up river is a herd of oxen, is a, a herd of goats. Everything is pooping and peeing in the river, flowing downstream, and then you collect your drinking water. You don't have a water filter. You don't have a water purifier. This is your water source. That's been the case for this village for years. So we get Bernice's money. We find another well drilling company. We go out to this village and we drill this well. Just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, it was finished. You should see, you got to get on my Facebook or Global Seed Planners. You should see the faces of the people in this village. They are so lit up. Good news. I'll tell you what good news came to Chuco. We've got water. They're so happy. I cried just looking at their faces. Where is the well? Right by the little church. We want Jesus to be the center of Chuco, the center of farming, the center of everything. So the, the well is drilled right by the church, right by the school. It will impact 2,000 people every day. Every day, 2,000 people will be impacted by a $2,500 well. That's how much it costs to drill the well in Chuco. Um, I'm so excited to see how God is going to use this. One more way to say, Jesus has come to bring good news. The gospel is about, for God so loved the world that he gave you his son, but he cares also that you have clean water. Jesus wants you and your children to be drinking clean water. He doesn't want you to bury, so many of them have buried children from waterborne diseases. I have held kids in my arms in this village, her age, in the back, that don't have a name yet because their mom and dad don't want to give them a name in case they die. You're not as attached if you haven't named them, just girl or boy. But you don't give them a name. I'm going to move just a little bit here. You don't give them a name, and then if they die, it's just my girl died, but not my little Molly. It's pretty sad. But now, most of the diseases are waterborne. This death rate, illness, trips to some remote, gross clinic, you talk about healthcare reform. It's not us that needs it. I'll tell you what, I've been a lot of places where we could thank God for the worst health care in the United States of America. So clean water has come there. Then another place um, is Mama Ketty. Mama Ketty has buried two of her daughters. She's 85 years old. She's buried two of her daughters this year. Um, yesterday, she buried her four-month-old great-grandson. She's been through more suffering than I've ever seen a human being endure. And her testimony yesterday was, my God is still sovereign. And no matter what, I will love him and trust him and serve him till my last breath. This is a woman that no death is going to kick her in the teeth. She lives in a very, very poor area, has to walk quite a distance for water. 
has about uh, 500 people right around her. We're drilling a well right on her compound so that Mama Ketty does not have to walk two miles each way as a 85-year-old to carry water back to her house. We've also had a family this year give a significant donation so that Mama Ketty doesn't have to live in a round mud hut anymore made of cow manure and dirt and sand and a grass roof. Mama Ketty has a brick house with metal tin <laughs> sheets over it. Mama Ketty has she says, I'm too old to have a house like this. And I said, no, Mama Ketty, you're going to have a mansion in heaven, but Jesus just wants you also to have a mansion on here as you transition to heaven. Because you know what? Jesus said, or God says in his word, true religion is this in James, that you take care of widows and orphans. It's not just that we go around and share our testimony. It's not just that we preach the gospel. True religion cares about the poor. True religion wants to love our neighbor as ourselves. True religion cares that people's lives come up. True religion cares that orphans and widows are cared for. And so um, the Lord is, I'm not standing up here bragging. I feel so stretched. I mean, I lose sleep at night. A lot of times I'm waking up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning just thinking, Lord, how do we do this? How do I love more neighbors as myself? How do we do this and not lose sight of, I mean, yeah, just preaching the gospel was easy for me because it didn't cost much. You just got on a plane, you went over, you did your thing at a conference or at a seminar kind of a deal, a workshop, and then you go went home again and it was kind of the airplane ticket and your hotel and meals. Love your neighbor as yourself costs a lot of money. You know, it's not free. Um, the whole gospel is costly. We have to sacrifice. We have to lay down our lives for our neighbors. We have to give something up. We have to decide, do I really need this one other thing when that money could go towards the poor, right? And Lord, can you provide more so that I can do more? So another thing I'm really excited about, and this is more of a miracle than it is me, um, is we care about food too. And so Everybody in northern Uganda has just gross diets. The food, well, you know, Bob, you've gone through the same thing. There's just, there hasn't been rain for three years, so people have been living on nothing. It's been a lot of starvation, a lot of, not a lot, a little rice and a little beans and a little flour because the crops haven't been producing. So I shared this agricultural need and a need not to give out food, but to teach people how to grow food and to cry out to God for breakthrough. And so a farmer's wife in my little church in Grantsburg, I go to a church of about 60 people. This lady who's been a farmer's wife her whole life, she's almost 70 years old. She says, I want to buy a piece of land for the women under the tree. I want to help them farm again. And so she bought 20 acres, 20 acres for 2,500 bucks. That's a steal. Okay, but the land is two and a half hours out of town. So I hired a tractor to get out there and clear the land because it hadn't been farmed forever for 20 years because of refugee camps. So we open up the land, clear the land, and this spring we planted six, four acres of it is for goats and oxen and 16 acres we planted rice. I'm standing before you today saying this, these women, 50 families. That's about 400 people. They're so lit up. 
in their lifetime, they have never seen a harvest like this. My project coordinator, Simon, said he cried when he went out there to inspect the fields. He says, Diane, for some reason, the rain has just fallen and fallen and fallen here. We haven't irrigated. He said, I have never, Diane, seen a rice crop that looks like this. Now, so on Wednesday, I'm hiring a big truck to load up 50 women to go out and harvest the field by hand. So they have no way to get out there because the roads are muddy, so buses can't go right now. And you could do a motorcycle, but you'd have to have an off-the-road dirt bike. We can get these big knobby trucks and get out there for about 400,000 shillings, which is less than 100 bucks. And they're going to go out there and harvest the rice. They are by hand, but they couldn't be more thrilled about the idea. Because God has brought, they, they said, this was their exact words, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of breakthrough. Isn't that great? So God has brought natural water and he has brought water that we've had to dig for. I should say Mama Ketty's, I go back to Mama Ketty's. We have a problem at Mama Ketty's. We went down 54 feet with the well drilling company that we'd hired and we hit rock. And then the same, I mean, thick rock. The well drilling company that we have does not have the equipment to go through rock. And so we got to get in another company that can guarantee us that they have the equipment to penetrate through any amount of rock and give me a set price. I don't want any of this Mickey Mouse and around where it'll be this much, but then if we have to go this deep, it'll be this much. I said, just give me a price, and I don't care if you have to drill to China, you're charging me the same price. So we found a company that's going to do that. Um, instead of $2,500, they are going to charge me $4,500, but they'll drill to China. And they promised, and they've already done some geological like survey, like an ultrasound of the ground, and said, "Oh, you got water down there. You just got to go, uh, you know, a little ways." So we still need about twenty-five hundred to finish that well. Okay, I want. Do I still have a little time? Can I still share a little more? I'm probably over. I'm getting tight, right? Are you guys still good? Are you still good, video man? Okay. Okay. So I want to talk to you more pointedly about the gospel as we define it. And so, have you ever had God, like, spank you? Have you ever God, had God, like, you know, we like those um, nice, exhortive, encouraging, positive, prophetic words, right? God gives you a word, and oh, it was so nice. Well, I was seeking the Lord a few years ago. I always end the year by reflecting on the year that was. What I've shared with other people, farmers always measure their harvest. We always do. So I always do the same thing. At the end of the year, I measure the harvest. I measure the fruit of that year. What happened? What did I see God do? I want to quantify it and qualify it. Farmers know 679 bushels of corn. You know, they know exactly do we know exactly what God did? Christians paint with such a broad brush sometimes. You know, we had a great year. Well, really? Tell me about it. You know, God did a lot of wonderful things. Like what? I mean, you know, I grew up where you knew how many pounds of milk Betsy gave this year. You measured it, right? You had everything down. How many bales to the bale do you have in the haymow? Now, 
you know, we don't want to be all about numbers because that can get weird too, right? But we are pretty poor at quantifying and qualifying what God did that was so wonderful, right? So, okay, I'm reviewing this with God and going through this and I'm saying, okay, then once I've reviewed it, then I ask God, so what about next year? Um, what would you like me to do in the year ahead? So I always, like January, I'm projecting some broad strokes from what I sense God is saying. So I get to this one area of my ministry called Operation Unreached, and it literally is bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ for God so loved the world to the ends of the earth. That's what this one initiative does. And so I'm praying about this, and the Lord very clearly says to me, Diane, I'm not happy with this area. And that area at that time was, I was um, our ministry, Global Seed Planners, we were supporting 45 missionaries, indigenous missionaries in China, reaching about 25 unreached people groups where the gospel had not been. My nose was right to the water level every month. Like every month, I could barely, we were providing monthly support for these indigenous workers, and I could barely support them. And so um, the Lord says, I'm not happy with this area. Like the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I'm just telling you, I got defensive. And I said, you're not happy with this area. Lord, we're reaching so many people that have not heard the gospel before in China. And we're very focused, Lord. We're going after not just every Tom, Dick, and Harry. We're going after unreached people groups. And then the Lord says to me, and you're always standing up in front of people, Diane, and you're talking about unreached people groups in the ends of the earth and how many and where all they are. And he says, and so what have you done to increase this the last three years? Now, you know, I, this is like bend over and get spanked, right? And I said, I knew where this was going. I said, um, yeah, you kind of got me. I, I haven't done anything to increase it. But, you know, you are, your kids ever say but to you? But. And so I was having this one out with the Lord and saying, but Lord, you know that there's only six weeks left of money in this whole account. How do you expect me to do more? I know I haven't done more, but I don't have anything to do more with. But the Lord says, but. He does but too. But you haven't even tried and I said you're right I haven't and I said so then I'm kind of like throw my arms up and so just what do you expect what is it that you expect out of me anyway and he said and this about knocked me over he said I want you to triple it I said triple what kind of got scared triple what and he said triple everything Diane you have, you're only in one country. Do you know that I love the whole world? You have to triple the amount of nations you're in. You can't just be in China. I don't just love China. You have to triple the number of people you're supporting monthly. 45's not enough. You need to triple it. You need to triple the amount of unreached people groups you're targeting. By this time, I'm just like, I started to cry. And I said, God, there is no way that I can triple what I'm doing. How in the world could this possibly happen when we can't hardly even meet the needs of these few that we have in China? And he said, that's not your job, Diane. Your job is simply to say, yes, it's my job to figure out how this is going to happen. And I said, okay. I say, yes, I'll triple it. I will go after 
75 different people groups. I'll go after at least three nations. I will try to get triple the money every month. Yes, Lord. Okay, yes. So then I was just quiet for a week. And after a week, I said, you need any help with this at all? Or are you just going to do it all by yourself? <laughs> like, am I, do I have any responsibility for this? Or is this, I just say yes, and then you just do it? And he said, no, you just keep praying. And so I said, you know, Lord, I leave in two weeks, and I'll be gone for a whole month. So this money's all gone, and I haven't, I got to triple it by February. And this was the middle of January. So I'm praying that next week, and the Lord just puts one person's name on my heart. And I, this was a LCMC, little dinky three parish in the cornfields. I'm not exaggerating. Every, so I got one invitation to come down to this LCMC, three dying parishes, literally in the middle of cornfields by southwestern Wisconsin. So I go down there and I'm like, oh my word, what am I doing here? You know, everybody was one foot on a banana peel, the other in the grave. Everyone was gray hairs. There was no sign of any life around. People all, you could hear during the whole service from the hearing aids whining. And everybody had canes or walkers or wheelchairs. And I'm going like, and I'd been in youth ministry my whole life. And I'm like, wow, Lord, this is a stretch. Like, this was a long drive to come down here. I'm not even sure why I'm here. Now i got to go a long drive home. And this was a waste. Well, when I'm packing up my table, this little old man comes up. And I had said, put your address on a piece of paper if you'd like to get our newsletter. And he puts a piece of paper on the table and walks out. Well, then I'm finishing up. I pick up the piece of paper. And it's a check for 10 grand and i i ran out of the uh, out of the basement this musty smelling basement of an old lutheran church and caught the guy as he's getting into a, like an 87 pickup and uh said wow sir did you just leave this piece of paper on the table yeah and he tries to shut the door and i got the door pushed open and i go i've never received this much and he said, um, it's okay. You don't need to thank me. It's a gift from God. And there's more where that came from. And then he pulls the door shut and drives away. <laughs> so, so now when I'm praying and asking the Lord what I should do, he says, call that old uh, guy in the cornfield down there in Wisconsin. So I didn't call him. I wrote him and said, you know, you can tell me to take a long walk off a short plank. You can tell me I've lost my mind. But I just, I've been praying about something, and I felt like God just gave me your name. And I, it's not like you're the only person I know. I have like 1,200 people on my mailing list. But I didn't feel like I was supposed to write a letter to 1,200 people. I felt like I was supposed to write a letter to you. And would you be willing to support 100, and, uh, 100 indigenous missionaries that would bring the gospel? I was doing more than God said. China, India, Nepal, Vietnam, and Cambodia. So I'm going for five nations, but I need this much money for it to come in. And I, so I wrote and said, told this guy, you think about it and pray about it. I'll get back to you in a week, and I won't be offended one bit if you say, you know, you really missed God on this one because it ain't me. And I called him the next week, and he said, you know, 
Uh, my mom and my sister and I have been praying, and this is something we really feel that we should do. We're going to put a check in the mail for you tomorrow. Now, that has not just been one time. They have done this now for three years. Almost the entire rest of the world were reaching an operation unreached. And you talk about a cost. These people live in a simple rambler. It still looks like 1970s. It still has dark paneling and pea green and orange. It still is horrible. And they drive 20-year-old vehicles that have 250,000 miles on them. But they want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. So good old Nora, the mama of the bunch, and then I'll be done. Nora, um, Nora died just a few months ago. The family called and said, could you please come to the funeral? It would mean a lot to our family. So of course when someone's been so generous, you should show up for a funeral, right? And most of the family had no idea that three years ago, Nora and her family started. This woman was a pastor's wife. She was a pastor's wife for 60 years. She served the Lord from the time she was 25 till 85, being a pastor's wife. And then at 95, she's starting to lose it and, and dies. And so I share with the people at the funeral, don't ever think that your impact on the world is over. Here's a woman who's just passed away, and you know all these stories about her impacting the Lutheran churches across America forever. What you probably don't know is that 92 years old, she started impacting the world. And that there have been thousands of people that have heard the gospel because of Nora and her family. So I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. Um, I'm already out in my car, and her son comes out to the car and says, we're so grateful that you came to the funeral today. Here's a check for 35000 to help you in your ministry. Here are people that get that the gospel is about bringing the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth, and the gospel is about loving your neighbor as yourself, and that when we do both of them well, we bring good news to the world. Amen.